0: Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Just to recap where, we, where we've been, um, last week was a little bit of a, a side note, um, but Joseph has been sold into slavery um, in Egypt, and um, the last time we were with him, we saw him being sold by his brothers, and now we're catching up with him in Egypt to see what takes place while he's there. we am going to start in verse 1, and I'm actually only going to read verse 1. Um, now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you probably noticed this. I don't know if you ever thought about it, um, but scholars, you know, that's, it's like, they're paid to think about stuff, sometimes overthink about stuff, and be like, why do you think they use the word and there? There has to be some meaning there. But they all um, are very interested in the fact that he states that Potiphar was an Egyptian. I mean, he was sold in Egypt. Why does it have to tell us that Potiphar is an Egyptian? It seems like a no-brainer. So many believe that this note actually shed some light on the status of egypt at this time and before i go into this i just want to say um scholars think about stuff a lot okay sometimes the stuff has real bearing and really reveals something about the scriptures sometimes it's like that's the most idiotic thing i've ever heard i can't believe you were paid to think that up right and and sometimes it's just kind of really interesting and it's like man it this is interesting if it's true and even if it's not true it doesn't really matter or change the story or change what god did okay so that's why i'm going to tell you this okay um so you can take it or leave it but if you share this with someone people are going to be like you're so smart are you a scholar and you can be like yeah kind of i am so but up to this point in history egypt's not really a world power we haven't really seen or heard anything about them no military conquests or seeking position as a world power they were a highly developed nation at this time, uh, but the goal seemed only to make Egypt a great nation. They were only really concerned with themselves. They had developed great trade routes, but there was no real designs on conquest or creating an empire. And there's evidence that Egypt, at some point, was actually attacked and taken over by a group of Bedouins. And these Bedouins are Shemites, not to be confused with Israelites. It means coming from Shem, but not we, we say, you know, anti-Semite and Semite, but that's really an error okay. um, because Shemite means something different. It's more broad. And so these Bedouins came from Shem, so they're distant, distant, distant relatives of the Israelites. They came from Arabia and Syria, and at some point they attacked and took over Egypt, and they ruled Egypt for two centuries. Um, Not a lot is known about that in Egyptian history because people don't like to keep detailed records of when they were conquered and how that went. You know, um, they kind of hide that. They don't want people to know they were defeated and ruled by others. But they do have records from private Egyptian citizens that detail these two centuries of being ruled over by the Bedouins. And in these private documents, these foreign rulers that ruled over Egypt are referred to as the Hyksos. Hick meaning country person, no, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm from North Carolina, we said that word a lot. All right, hick means king and sos means shepherd. So these rulers were known as the shepherd kings. And while we don't exactly know when they ruled Egypt, most scholars agree that they probably ruled Egypt during Joseph's time and about 100 years after his death. The reason I think this is interesting is this would explain why Moses felt the need to tell us that Potiphar was an Egyptian. It explains why Pharaoh would entrust a foreigner to such a great amount of authority over Egypt because he was also a foreigner. And it also would explain why later Pharaoh turns on the Israelites and a different Pharaoh turns and enslaves them. Because once the Egyptians got back in control, they would want to get rid of all the foreigners or put them or subjugate them to make sure it didn't happen again. Just a little tidbit I wanted to share. I find it interesting because if it were true, it would show an even greater depth of the providence of God to have worked this out and have this particular ruler in place when Joseph comes in to raise Joseph up. Either way, I don't like to, when scholars think of stuff and I'm like, you know, that really takes the glory from God, and there's no evidence to the truth of that. But this, I think, doesn't take any anything from God, and it's just interesting. And the thing I like about it is it just shows the depth of God's providence, that, that he could be working on something for Joseph for 100 years before Joseph, it's even time for Joseph to do that, okay? Is it possible that God has been preparing something for us? Has God been preparing something for the church For you, for hundreds of years, has God been preparing something for us for this day, for this time, and he's been working at it for hundreds of years. It's not just possible, that's how he works. So let's let's read the rest of the story. And this is how it's going to go. I've got so many paragraphs for each line. I know you're excited. All right. So the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. I want to make a note right here. Um, How many times, and I want you to notice as we continue to read this chapter, how many times it says God was with Joseph. It's really important to Joseph at this time. He is a foreigner in a foreign country, as a slave, sold by his brothers, feeling very alone alone. And it's when we are alone, we need the reminders from God, I am with you. And he continually says in this chapter, but God was with him, but God blessed him, but God gave him favor. People could see that God was with him. And Potiphar saw this blessing upon him, and he put him over everything in his house, so that he had no concerns but for what he ate. Now, that's like my children. They have no concerns about anything about but what they eat. They don't like what's been served. Um, Now, that might tell us that Joseph was really good at what he did, right? Maybe he was really smart. He was a hard worker. But above all else, it tells us that he was trustworthy. This guy comes in as a prisoner and then as a slave. They don't know anything about him, but he earns Potiphar's trust so that Potiphar turns over everything in his house to Joseph. Joseph was trustworthy. That that cannot be overstated in light of what is to come. We don't know how long it took Joseph to gain Potiphar's trust, but absolute trust like that takes a while. That takes a long time. And we can see that Potiphar saw something different in Joseph from anyone else in the house. He was different than all the other workers, people who were Egyptian, people who looked like Potiphar and sounded like Potiphar. So he'd be more likely to trust Egyptians, but this young man, Joseph, this foreigner, there was something different about him that Potiphar could see. And that difference was God in him that was brought out through Joseph's character that made him trustworthy. And this brings to mind something that God said to Abraham in Genesis 18:19. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation And all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God has chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children in the way they are to go. So that God... Will bring about for Abraham what God promised him. God brought Abraham up so that he would raise his children in the way they're to go, so that God would do what he promised him. There's two so that's there. There's a human part to play in the plans of God. There's a human part to play. And Joseph, all alone and far away from his family, has been brought up in the way he is to go. He's been brought up in what is right and what is just. And we see him living it out. And because of this, God's promise will be fulfilled through him. Because Joseph is doing what is right. But before God begins to fulfill his promise in in, uh, Joseph, he'll be faced with another sticky situation. And that's going to begin in um, 6b. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while... He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Here it tells us that Joseph is handsome. That's what we're going to focus on. He was handsome. All right? We probably assumed he was like his mother, uh, Rachel, was beautiful. It's most likely the reason that Jacob loved Joseph so much because he looked like his mother. The other day, I think, we were out eating and someone looked at Flynn and they were like, you have the most beautiful eyelashes, you know? And, and we were like, yes, they're beautiful, just like his mother. You know, and I just picture Joseph being like, they're just like, Joseph, you've got the most amazing eyelashes. Girls are the ones who say that. Guys are like, what? What are you talking about? Eyelashes? What do they do? Yeah, they're nice. They're fine. They bat away tears. They do what they're supposed to. Um, but, so, but so because he's attractive, you know, sometimes it's a good thing, you know. And sometimes um, it can bring the wrong kind of attention. And Potiphar's wife he has caught her attention and she wants him to sleep with her uh some scholars believe and i'm just going to say this one i don't think this is true but i'm just saying it because sometimes people say well you know and they say these facts and then we just believe them because they're like well that sounded like a fact you just made up a fact i think you know but we need to be able to say that's that's dumb and refute it right and that's the best way to just when you're trying to talk people out of their ideas just say things like that's dumb that's idiotic that's stupid it's really good. Those are. I looked in a thesaurus, and all those words came up. As So some scholars believe that Potiphar may have been a eunuch, because the word they use for official is also sometimes used for eunuch. But I think this theory can be set aside because eunuchs are not really known to marry. Can you imagine the wife on her wedding day? <laughs> you know? Um, either way, Joseph... Refuses, um, saying, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That's his response. How could I sin against God? So we see Joseph has been brought up to know what's right and just, and we know that he follows it. Thou shalt not commit adultery is one of the Ten Commandments that have not yet been given to Moses, yet here Joseph is living by them. We know he's been taught that, even though it hasn't been written yet. This is obviously something God told Abraham that has been passed down. And I want to take a little bit of time to talk about Joseph because he's been painted. And every time I hear a sermon on Joseph, and even even when I talked about Joseph, like he's painted like a brat, you know, and that's a possibility that he was kind kind of a spoiled brat and he needed this to happen so that God could use him. He really needed to suffer to find God. But I just want to present another side to this. It's true he may not have been wise to share the dreams, but what do we know about Joseph? What have we been told? His brothers hated him for being the favorite and getting that robe, which was not his fault, and for telling on them when they were in the fields. But what were they doing in the fields? Probably something wrong. They're probably doing something wrong. And Joseph told on them, because that's what you do when you're a little kid and you do what is right. You know, everyone wants that kid in their family that comes, I don't know if you care uh, what's happening right now, but the other kids are in there doing very bad things. You should go check on them, you know. Um, It always happened. When I went to the psych ward with adolescents, you got 20 kids, and they're just like devious, and one kid would come and tell you, and then you go and be like, I know what you guys are doing. They'd be like, how would you know that? And I'm like, because you're not going to tell on the kid, and it just seemed like I knew everything. But so why was Joseph hated? What, what do we know about him he he was his father's favorite so he got a, a sweet jacket and he told on his brothers right and he he wasn't smart and told them this dream that obviously upset them but is it possible that joseph was hated for being good is it possible they just didn't like him because he was the obedient child because he did not do disobedience What if he was the goody-two-shoes? He obviously listened when his father talked about God. Here he is repeating what he's been told. We see him acting upon it. The only fault I've seen so far in, in Joseph is maybe unwise choices, not necessarily sins, telling on someone when they did wrong. So maybe we should withhold the judgment that Joseph is a brat. It's possible he was, but that's not necessarily fact. He does not want, and what do we know about his brothers, really? His brothers were not good characters, right? Like, they were awful. Everything we've seen of them, Joseph is the exact opposite of them. He is good. And perhaps that's why they hated him so much, because no one likes the good person. We see this all the time. We see, we, we see it in youth all the time. Kids get saved, and they start not wanting to do something, and everyone's also, I don't want that person around, because when they're not doing it, it's reminding me what I, what I should be doing And then just their very presence annoys me. Right? Just their very presence. Um, So, maybe he wasn't a brat. Maybe he was just good. He doesn't want to sin against God. And here we see him withstanding the temptation. He's withstanding the temptation. Not just once, but day after day after day. And he does it. He says he refused to go to bed with her or even be near her. In another version, it says he refused to lie beside her or to be with her. Can you just see how this unfolded every day? This wasn't like the same thing. It wasn't like she went out and like, will you sleep with me? No. Next day, will you sleep with me? No. Will you sleep with me? No. How you feeling today? Good? Sleep with me? No. It was probably, it was probably more just like, you know, a little bit like oh joseph you don't even know how i'm treated he's a eunuch a eunuch no <laughs> she's like like you don't even know how i'm treated just joseph just come sit here i just want to talk to you come here joseph don't be scared come here joseph i just i don't want to do anything wrong i just want to spoon i just want to spoon i just want to be loved right i mean you know she's not just like she's she's being like she's wearing different things and trying to get his attention but he won't even be near her which is very very wise she's trying to entice him slowly but surely wear him down trick him catch him when he's off his guard and when we're being enticed to sin that's how it works it's not like the devil comes in like you want to do it today no <laughs> do you want to do, do it today no hey how you feeling you know that's not how it works he he entices you he tries something different he's crafty Try to catch you when you're off your guard. So we can see how this would unfold. But in Proverbs 1.10, it says, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. Those men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. It says, do not set foot on their path and we see joseph is wise enough to avoid her to try not to even be in the same room to not put himself in that situation to not set foot upon the path so often i see christians fail because they put themselves in a bad situation they set a foot upon the path thinking i'm just gonna step on for a minute and then i'll just step back off it's not a big deal it's only a foot just a little." Just a little flirt here, right? Just a little flirt. Yeah, I'm married, but I'll just flirt a little bit. I'm battling alcoholism, but I'm, but I'm just going to go to the bar with my friends. I'm just going to go get them saved. I've seen it a million times. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to text with this old friend from high school. We're going through the same things. You can't set foot on the path. I remember after I got saved, all, all of my friends um, continued to do drugs and I wanted to get them saved. It was my heart's desire for them to know what happened to me and so I hung out with them all the time. And every day, every time I was with them, they wanted me to do drugs with them. And they were never like, hey, you wanna do drugs today? <laughs> no, how are you feeling? It, was not, it wasn't like that. It was like, man, oh man, Nate, oh man, I miss you. I love you, man. I miss what we used to have, you know? We're so close. You know, I miss laughing with you. Miss. We're just like, you're different you know just that's how it was and they like guilt you and you're like you're right things are different this is so sad i can't believe i stopped doing drugs and cu- and ruined our friendship right like but that's how I did that's how i did and eventually and, and, I, and for everyone it's different everyone's different everyone has different different vices and different struggles but but i eventually had to stop hanging out with them because i knew every single time I was with them, that was their goal. And I had to cut them off. And even now, when I look back at people who have high school friends, it makes me sad because I don't have those friends, those long-term friends, because I had to cut them off. And even though I saw them at a wedding like five years ago and they were like, <laughs> you know, but they look a lot older now, you know? And, and they're, like, they're like, man, I remember that year, 2001, the year you grew up. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, when you grew up and you left us behind. And I'm like, oh, God, can someone come talk to me else, you know? But and I was just like, I was just like, I didn't, I didn't grow up. I got saved, like, and I'm looking at you, and I'm so glad that I did because, but not that. I mean, I want them to come out of it, and they but and. It was just like a choice i had to make i can't set foot on that path anymore i can't if we're going to chase after god we have to chase after righteousness and chase after wisdom choosing what's right and we see joseph doing it so we can tell this man is a is a righteous young man he is trying to do what's right and just so in in verse 11 says one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside she caught him by his cloak and said come to bed with me but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And this lady, everyone's probably like, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> Did you ever scream? I didn't hear a scream. I was literally right there. Um, the place where the king's prisoners were confined." We see once again that Joseph's cloak has got him into trouble again. You can just see this guy in the future, he's out and people are like, you cold, man, need a jacket? He's like, no, I'm good. Never again will I ever wear a cloak. You don't even know what people can do with cloaks. They can fake your death, they can frame you, like all they need is that jacket, you're an idiot for having one. Um, But so since she cannot get him to sin, since she cannot entice him, she frames him. And before Pot- Potiphar comes home, this tells us a little bit about this woman. Before her husband comes home, she went around and told the household the story, what the story was going to be. She, she, she laid it out. This is the truth. She spread her side of the story and spread her discontent amongst the others. And being like, hey, that Hebrew, that foreigner, that doesn't look like any of us, and he put him over us, right? And you know, honestly, Timothy, I always thought you should be in charge. I always did. I always liked you. Always loved you. You know what I mean? Like, she went, and she went, and like, to get everyone to hear her side of the story. And people do this. This is a pretty basic example, and it's a little crude, but it's just so perfect, um, in middle school, which is the worst time for this to happen to anyone, I had a friend and whenever he would pass gas, he would immediately step away from you and be like, oh man, Nathan, dude, I can't believe we just did that, man. Oh, it's so stinky. Nathan. And he talked like that too. I'm not even being sarcastic. Um, and, and I'd be like, you know, in seventh grade, and you're like, oh, my God, it's not true. And then the minute, and he did it to everyone, and the minute you were like, that's not true, he did. It's like, of course you'd say that. Of course you would. Uh-huh. And, and everyone would be like, Nathan, first he passes gas, then he lies about it. You know, like, and, and it's so simple. I you just like, this is so juvenile. But people still do that. As I've gotten older, I've, I've been amazed to see how liars do the same thing. They, they do the same thing. If people are in a fight, one person typically goes around and, and like back in the day, you'd call on your phone like this. Now, now you just text like you should hear what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. So that, then when the other person comes and says, hey, this is what happened, then, you're, then everyone's already aligned and they can be like, <laughs> I already know the truth. I already got a direct line. I know the truth. So what you're saying is obviously a lie because it's different from what I heard. And then there's another middle school method, where you go around and tell people that you want to be on your side. You'd be like, "You should hear what they said about you." And that person is never going to be like, "I heard what you said. I want to make things right." People don't do that. They're just like, "Ah, oh, I hate them too. I hate them too." They're like, "That's right. I'm glad you hate them because." And, and so it just destroys relationships, even though it's like highly probable that that person didn't actually say those things. And I don't know if you know this, but like in the world that we live in, often in our workplaces, like liars prevail in this situation because they've been doing it for a very long time. And you're really playing this game in their territory. And I've seen, I've seen, I, you've seen, I've seen this happen so often. It's funny because it's happening in middle school, but you see it happen with adults all the time. And I, I've seen when people say, well, I know sometimes... The truth is somewhere in the middle from what you say and what you say. And that sounds wise, but sometimes I wonder if someone said that to Joseph. And he's like, I didn't do anything. And someone was like, Joseph, I know the truth is somewhere in between what you're saying what she's saying. The cloak was there after all. So we know, you know what I mean? Like, like what's in between? What's in between? Tell me what's in between. You know? Like, sometimes, and I'm trying to look at this through Joseph's perspective Sometimes it's not in the middle. Sometimes people lie. Sometimes you don't know the extent of the lies or what lies are even out there. It's impossible to defend yourself against lies you don't even know about. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? You see someone that you were once really close to, you pass them and they just begin to look at you different or begin to act differently, put up a facade when they talk to you and you, or they just ghosted you all together and you're just like, something was said. Something's been said about me and I don't know what. What was said about me? And, 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 and you may even hear some of it and say, did I not, or isn't it so sad when someone that you love believes something about you and you're just like, did I not earn your trust? Have I not proven with my character over the years that's that's not who i am that that's not something i would say that's not something i would do that's so opposite of anything i've ever done right what did this feel like for joseph he's trustworthy he has earned this man's trust does that count for nothing he is completely innocent there's nothing no no middle of the road story he's completely innocent and that, has, that is so frustrating. I don't know if you've ever had a lie told about you or you accused of something and it's not true. And people that are, even your friends are like, well, maybe it's even your close friends are like, well, maybe it's a little true. And you're just like, this is so frustrating. This is injustice. You know, like even kids, like kids get so frustrated about injustice. It's not fair. This isn't fair. They get fixated on it because it's an injustice. There's almost a disbelief that it's happening because in their world, it's like there's right and there's wrong. And when when you do something wrong, you get in trouble for it. When you do something right, you don't get in trouble for it. When you do something right, everyone should be happy with you. And like their whole world is like rocked. And that's really how you know when a kid is telling the truth because they just won't let it go. And you're like, man, you know what? She's been telling me for like two weeks that didn't happen. Starting to think she didn't do it. You know what I mean? I'm starting to think that might not have happened. It's just wrong. And for kids, it can be so inconsequential. But just when we were children, we already desired justice. As adults, we desire justice. We desire fairness. We want the wrongs to be set right. We want the wrongs to be set right. It's kind of strange to me that we're in a society right now that cries out, there's no absolute truth you live your own truth there's no right and no wrong and yet at the same time we are the most vocal crying out for wrongs to be set right we see there's no right and no wrong and yet at the same time we're crying out for justice for the wrongs to be set right those things can't coexist they can't coexist But it's in moments like these when we have a crisis of faith if god is real and if god is just if he's a god of justice how could he allow this to happen how could he allow this to happen god i've done nothing but follow you i've done nothing but be good i've had good character I've been honest, and yet you have allowed this to happen to me. You have allowed th- this depiction of me to spread. And many people stop believing in God in these moments, in moments of injustice, in moments where they have done no wrong and yet are receiving receiving ill, receiving ill words about them. Say, how could I cannot believe in a God of justice who would allow such injustice and we take it very personal we take it very personal between us and god that he would allow it we hate it but let me tell you god hates it too god hates it too it's actually one of the ten commandments we, we got like the thou shalt not murder down thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness it's one of the ten right up there with murder and stealing in proverbs six sixteen, it says there are six things the lord hates seven that are detestable to him haughty eyes a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes feet that are quick to rush into evil false witness a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community lying shows up twice in the seven things the lord hates and so as christians we need to be aware of our mouth and what we're saying whether it's truth or whether it's a lie. The Lord hates a lying tongue. But when we're in those moments, I mean, if Joseph's like, man, someone's lying about me and they're just having their way and people are believing it. I can't defend myself. I have no power here. I, do you think God was like, there's seven things which I hate. One is a lying tongue. And Joseph's like, cool. Awesome. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? You, you, you hate it. What does that mean for me? Well, 21 says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God was still with him. Maybe everyone else believed what she said about him. But God did not abandon him. God was still with him. I just want us to note that it never says anywhere that the truth eventually came out. It doesn't say it. The truth came out. Joseph was redeemed. People found out that it wasn't true. And finally, justice was served. Finally, all the people in the household and Potiphar's wife admitted that they had lied. And Joseph's reputation was restored and he was released. And all the people who thought ill of him came and apologized and said, I should not have thought such ill things about you. You were such a man of character it never says that never says that we know it now but did that occur in joseph's lifetime did the truth ever come out did the truth ever come out for joseph and when you look at that and when you think of your own situation if you're in a situation like that it can get pretty frustrating and it can be you can feel pretty defeated to come to the conclusion that that might never ever come out. You might never ever be vindicated or justified or like, and you kind of want to like give up. A lot of times people say, "Well, then I'm just going to be that person. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter what I try." But our hope, our hope, is not in the truth coming out. That's not where our hope lies, in the truth coming out. Our our hope does not lie in being vindicated. That's not where our hope is. If you're holding on to that hope, that maybe this situation will turn out for good, and the hope is that the truth will come out, you might be severely disappointed. But our hope is not in the truth coming out. Our hope is not in lies being revealed as lies. In all honesty, it might never happen. You may never see that day. Thanks for coming. No. <laughs> you might never see that day. So what does that mean? Um, I asked Daisy if I could still tell this story, but... Um, a while ago, Daisy um, was at a church. She'd been there for a very, very, very long time. All her friends were there. And um, and one of, one of uh, her friends, who was in more of a position of power, um, kind of abused that position and kind of um, pushed Daisy out. And um, I don't know why I'm—this how much I love you, but I'm getting upset about it. Um, and all, all Daisy's friends— would say, well, we don't wanna get in the middle. But what it meant when they said, we don't wanna get in the middle, what it felt like is, we don't love you enough to change anything about our lives for you. And so we're gonna stay here and be with her, and for us, nothing will change. But for you, you're now on your own. Because we don't wanna get in the middle. And all her friends, in very quickly. And, and I think I wanted truth to come out. One day, truth will come out. One day, Daisy will be vindicated. Surely, people know Daisy's character. But it never did. And it never has. And life went on. And everything is the same. Except for Daisy. But... One time, we, read, um, we went and saw John Paul Jackson. And it was a, it was a huge room. And, um, and he points to me out. And he says, you, stand up. And that's the first time we'd ever been there. We didn't. A huge church. He was just a visiting speaker. And he said, stand up. And she stood up and he said, God told me to tell you last night when you were crying in your room because you had no friends. He saw that. He saw you crying. He heard your tears. And he wants you to know that he's going to bring you new friends, better friends. And like she sat back down. I mean, she's like, ah, you know. And I'm like, did that happen? Did you do that? Like, you know, I, I, you know, I was her boyfriend at the time. It was like, I mean, I, I don't even know it. And he's telling her, you were crying in your room last night. This is what you're crying about god says he will bring you new friends that are better and it took a very long time very long time it wasn't like the next day maybe another 10 years and now daisy has new friends that are better that are more faithful who are more grounded in the word god didn't repair what was broken She was never, never again in with them. But God brought something new that was better. So, see, we can't always trust that the truth will come out. But our hope is not that the truth will come out. Our hope is in the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord god is in charge of our future god did not fix that situation he put her in a better situation a much better situation it says in exodus 14 14 the lord will fight for you you need only be still the lord will fight for you you need only be still so I want to tell you, when you are in a situation, when you feel hopeless, when you feel powerless, when other people are saying things about you that aren't true, when you're like, I don't even know what to do, do not put your hope in, in that situation being fixed. Do not put your hope in the truth coming out. Do not put your hope in that lies will be revealed as lies. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. He may never come to terms with it. He may never fix what was broken, but he will bring something new and better out of it. He will bring something new and better out of it. So stop looking back. Do not allow yourself to be upset with the injustice. Stop getting frustrated at the wrong that someone else did against you. We can get lost in the wrongs People have done against us don't get lost in that when we get lost in what was done to us it's because we're not looking where we should be looking we should be looking at the king of kings and lord of lords who says i will make all things new be still and i will fight for you and i will bring you victory out of this you will see victory out of this situation and it's still true for everyone here Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are good. I thank you that you love us, Lord. I thank you that you have a plan for our lives. And though we don't always trust you, and sometimes we put our hope in the wrong thing. We put our hopes in a situation turning out the way we want it to. Lord, I just, we just repent of that right now. We just repent of our hopes being in situations. Lord, you, though justice may never come, you are a God of justice, Lord. And we put our hopes in you and we know that you will take these things, these hurts, and turn it to joy. You'll take this pain and turn it to peace. Lord, our hopes are in you and you alone, not in our situation, not that wrongs will be made right. We put our hopes in you. And you, and when we truly, truly put our hopes in you, oh Lord, when you really have our hearts, you truly do make all things new. I want to thank you for all that you've done in each in each of our lives that you've already restored, situations you've already begun to make to make something new. And we just right now, as your people, we say, Lord, we trust you. We will be still. We will close our mouths. And we will trust in the Lord who will fight our battles. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a God who makes all things new. Thank you that you are a God of faithfulness and a God who bothers to make promises to us. And we will do our part, Lord, being faithful and seeking righteousness so that you can work your will out in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.